Well, it was very early in the morning on March 23rd, 2018. A very chilly day, as I recall. And about 2 a.m., my wife Lisa nudged me and said, I think this is it. I think it's for real this time. I think the baby's coming. And so I woke up, and I, I don't normally sleep very deeply, but for some reason that night I was dead asleep. But at 2 a.m. I, I, I woke up, I jolted out of bed, and we had all these bags set up in order to go to the hospital. They were all set, so then the, the clock started to tick, right? And so I you know, grabbed all these bags. We've got to go to the hospital. She is having a baby. We've got to now wake up Zoe. Zoe is dead asleep. So we've got to get Zoe ready. We've got to get her clothes all set. We've got to get her bag. We've got to get her set to go to the people who are going to be watching her, the Runquist. So then we've got to call the Runquist, say, hey, we're going to bring Zoe to your house. And I'm like, great, we're ready. So we're getting everything ready. We're grabbing bags. We're getting this ready and this ready and this ready. Lisa's having a baby. So then we get into the van we know we got to rush because our hospital's northwestern all the way downtown. We didn't know how long it would take, but we got to drop Zoe off first. So we rush Zoe over to the Runquist. We get her out. We get her bag. You know, her coat is on. Her hat is on. Okay, she's all set. Lisa's having a baby. Okay, they're taking, the, they're taking Zoe. I get back in the car. Now we got to bolt downtown. And then do you know that feeling? That feeling like you're forgetting something. All of a sudden, (laughs) Lisa was there. Uh, She was having a baby. All of a sudden, that feeling came over me like I was forgetting something back in the car. And then I realized that I had forgotten my medicine it's the only thing i couldn't pack in advance because i take medicine every day so i couldn't put it in the hospital bag but in the morning lisa had told me get your medicine and so i did i I got my medicine but i put it in a bag but then i didn't put that bag in the hospital bag i just put it in a bag and uh it's for asthma i have to take it every day like i can't miss a dose really because then there's problems so we didn't want the situation. I didn't want the situation where, like, I'm coaching Lisa to breathe, and then she's coaching me to breathe. Like, breathe. No, you breathe. No, you breathe. Right? That would be a problem. We both have to breathe. So I gulped. I look over at Lisa. She's having a baby. And I say, I'm pretty sure I forgot my medicine. In fact, I know I forgot my medicine. And she looked at me. She's in the zone. And um, her eyes said, you can't be serious. But with utmost patience and unconditional love, she said, let's just go back to the house, get your medicine, and then we'll go to the hospital. So we drove all the way back to the house. We got the medicine. And then we went all the way downtown, we went to the hospital, I breathed, she breathed, and the rest is history. (laughs) How could I have forgotten something so important? In the flurry of activity, in my half-awake, half-asleep state, I had missed something 
so important. And this morning, I want to use that as a framework for us to examine our lives and ask, have I forgotten something important? In the flurry of activity that we call life, in our sometimes half-awake, half-asleep state spiritually, have we missed something? And before we move on with whatever important things we have going on, before we go further, do we need to stop, turn around, and bring that into our lives? The important thing that I want to talk about this morning is the spiritual discipline of serving the poor. And it's something that is so easily missed. And in order to talk about this topic, I want to share with you from a chapter of the Bible that literally changed my life. God used it to change my life. The first time I really read it was a defining moment in my life, which was a a catalyst that God used to, to kind of point the trajectory of my life. All of a sudden, I read this chapter of the Bible, and it's like my, all of a sudden I saw how important the spiritual discipline is to God. And that's why I eventually well, went to grad school to study social work, which is where I met my wife, Lisa, and she was on the same page, which led us to the city, which led us to Good News Bible Church. And it wasn't just this passage, but it's like this passage was the start of the journey, where all of a sudden I started seeing all of these verses about this topic, about serving the poor, verse after verse after verse. I remember one night in this little room in my college campus, starting with Isaiah 58, and then it led me to another verse, and another verse, and another verse, and another verse, and all of a sudden, literally, I think hours had gone by, and I thought that same thought, how have I missed this? It is so important to God. And that's why I believe it's a spiritual discipline. Because as we've said throughout this series, and this is the last week in this series on the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual disciplines are about growing in godliness. They're about becoming more and more like God, more and more conformed to his character, more and more Christ-like. And so if this is something so near and dear to his heart, then part of our journey in becoming more like him has to include this. It has to include this area being reflected in our own lives because it is so important to him. And that's what we'll see in our chapter today. So let's turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 will cover most of the chapter, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to talk about the situation of the people, the solution to the problem, and the strength to do it. Situation, solution, strength. You got to know that there's like this little pastor inside of me wearing a tie and a cardigan that gets really excited when the sermons can be alliterated. So bear with me. So let's start with the situation. It's found in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 58. Let's read them. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. 
Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers." Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself, is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast in a day acceptable to the Lord? So the chapter begins... With God telling the prophet Isaiah to cry aloud, do not hold back. In other words, do not whisper this, do not murmur it, don't pull a few people aside and just talk to them about it. Shout at the top of your lungs, get everyone's attention. Raise your voice like a trumpet, it says. In our day, someone might blow a whistle and everyone stops what they're doing and listens, or maybe a alarm, or if you're from Iowa, a tornado siren, whatever it is. And in the Israelites' day, someone would come to the middle of the town and blow a trumpet, and everyone would stop what they were doing and listen. So that's the picture we have here. God is telling the prophet Isaiah, make sure everyone stops what they are doing and listens to this. That's how important it is. It's almost like declaring a state of emergency. So God wants the people to know there is something majorly off with the way they've been living. There's a glaring inconsistency in their life. Like the NIV puts it, the people are living in rebellion. In other words, they are turning their backs on God. They are actively sinning. I mean, this sounds like some rough people, right? But wait. Hold on. Then we look at verse 2, right? Check out the description of their lives. Verse 2. These people seek me daily and delight to know my ways. In other words, if if this was written um, in contemporary Christianity, these people are faithfully having a daily quiet time. They delight to know my ways. They delight to learn about God, to be reading Scripture, to be reading Christian books. And then it says, look, look at the, the end of verse 2. They, they delight to draw near to God. They delight to go to the temple. They delight to go to church. And in the middle it says, they are a nation as if they were a nation that did righteousness. On the outside, they look like righteous people, so put all this together. And in our, in, in, in our context, they would be faithful, quiet, time-keeping. People who delight to learn about God. Faithful, church-going. People who look good on the outside. And yet God says there is something majorly off with your life. Isn't that unsettling to think about? that that could be a description of us. I mean, God knows our hearts. But on the outside, 
this could so easily be a description of us. And yet God says there's something majorly off with your life. And then he shows them that by not responding to their fast. And the people say, why? And then God points out the problem in verse 4. He says, while you're fasting, you're harming one another. And you are oppressing, in other words, mistreating, neglecting people who have less power and wealth than you, your workers. You're harming one another. And so God says, is that the kind of fast that I want? In verse 5, just the, the bowing of your head like a reed, the um, depriving yourself, afflicting yourself, going without food for the sake of going out food, without food, spreading um, the sackcloth. It's all a picture of the religious observance of fasting, of the ritual of fasting. And God is saying, is that what I want? Do I want just the ritual? No. I don't want an empty ritual while your hearts are far from me. Back in Isaiah 29, 13, God says these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So God is saying, I don't want your empty ritual, but this is what I want us to see. The proof that it's empty. The proof that that their hearts were far from him is seen in how they treated the poor. That was the proof of where their hearts were at. This is a a, a theme that we see throughout Scripture. Um, I had these as some slides, but we had some technical difficulties. So I'm just going to read them to you, okay? And you you don't have to turn there. You can just listen. I, I have a lot here, and I did that because I want us to to feel the impact of how much Scripture talks about this. Okay, so this is earlier in Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. This is practically the way that the book of Isaiah starts. It says this. This is God talking. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. In other words, your religious gatherings. Your new moons and appointed feasts. Your religious gatherings. God says, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen Listen to why. Your hands are full of blood. And then he tells them what to do. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He's saying, I'm not interested in your empty rituals. I'm I'm interested in your hearts and you will show your hearts for me. By the way, you treat these people who are poor. Okay, let's keep looking at this theme. Isaiah, or, I'm sorry, Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. This is God talking. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. 
Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's keep reading. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, a th- with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil, of, of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Shall I bring to God all these religious offerings? And then it says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You see this theme? Where God is saying, I don't want just the religious observances for the sake of religious observances. But I want your heart. I want the relationship and the proof of the relationship. A proof. I would say a major proof of the relationship with God is in how we treat people who have less power and wealth than us. The way we treat the poor, the afflicted, the the vulnerable, is a reflection of our heart for God. I'm not making this up. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. There's a few more I want to read to you, if you'll bear with me. I just want us to feel the force of this, okay? These are from Proverbs. Proverbs 14:31 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him Proverbs 17:5 Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished Proverbs 19:17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed I might be beating a dead horse But how we treat the poor is a reflection of our heart for God. It's a reflection of the relationship. That's why um, in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the last day. And he says to the people on his right, Behold, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was sick and you visited me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was in prison and you came to me. I was naked and you clothed me. And the people say, well, when did we do that? And he said, whenever you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And it's not that these people have earned points with God and earned their salvation through doing these awesome deeds. But it's a reflection of a relationship with God. One more verse. One more verse, then I'm done. Uh, this is talking about King Josiah, uh, one of the righteous kings of Judah. And uh, this is a description of him in Jeremiah 22:16. It says this. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? In other words, this is the proof, a proof, a major proof of his knowing me, his relationship with me. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. And so... Hearing verses like these kind of make us want to stop and ask ourselves, have I missed something? 
Have I missed something so important to God that I need to turn around before I go any further and begin to bring these things into my life? I'm not saying that every Christian has to have this all figured out and and everything perfectly lined up in this area, but is this something that we're seeking to bring into our lives with God's help? So that was the problem. That was the situation uh, with the Israelite people. God is saying your, your, your rituals are empty. Your heart is not in it, and the proof that your heart is not in it is how you are treating the poor. So then God turns to the solution in the second half of our chapter. This is the fast he desires. And he's not, he's not doing away with fasting completely. He's just saying more than the empty ritual. This is what I desire. He shows them how to correct the way that they were living. So let's read that. This is the solution to the problem. And it starts with verse 6. Isaiah 58, starting with verse 6. God says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. Then you shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness And your gloom shall be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. These verses, this half of the chapter shows us how to correct the situation that uh, shows us what God wants for us and how we serve our neighbors in need, how we serve the poor. And, and I think it can be broken down into two levels. The first is the big picture stuff. The first is kind of the large scale stuff. One scholar pointed out that every single verb in verse six, every single verb is a talks about um, Someone being liberated. Someone gaining freedom or becoming free. Let's take a look at it one more time. Verse 6. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Loose. Undo. Let go. Break. Each of these expressions are ways of saying people becoming more free. And so God is saying, I want you to be a part of that. This is what God wants us to do. He's saying, I want you to be a part of other people becoming more free. And not like, not like we're the hero that just kind of swoops in and um, saves all these helpless people. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. But joining, joining in and helping push back these things that hinder people's freedom. The, the, the bonds, or as one translation puts it, the chains Or the yoke, it says yoke three times. The things that restrain people and weigh people down. 
That's what the picture of chains and yoke is. Things that restrain people and weigh people down, that keep people from fully moving or fully rising in life. So as we look out on our city and our nation and across the world, what are some of the things right now that weigh people down and restrain them? There's a lot we could say here, but let's just, let's just look at a few. It could be literal slavery. Uh, many of us know that, that slavery is alive and well, and that there are over 40 million people this morning who live in slavery across our world. That's more than the entire population of California. All living in slavery. So it could be slavery. Or it could be addiction. Or it could be cycles of poverty that are passed on from one generation to the next, all concentrated in the same areas. Or it could be racism. Or it could be lack of quality education. I think we can all agree that all of these things are things that weigh people down and restrain them in life. And so God is calling us to be a part of the picture, to be a part of people becoming more free. And we could look at these things and be like, whoa, these are huge things. Like, okay, uh, slavery, um, addiction, racism, education, poverty. Like, what am I supposed to do in the face of things like this? And throughout our spiritual discipline series, we've been talking about the fact that every spiritual discipline is both an individual thing and a community thing. And I think that's important to remember here because we can do something, especially as we join forces with other people. So imagine even starting small and some of us getting together and just saying, just imagine some of us saying, you know what, Uh, we are going to get together. A group of us are going to get together and we are going to commit to praying for and supporting and giving to an organization like International Justice Mission or something similar. An organization that is working to literally set captives free. Or what if. Imagine some of us saying, okay, we are going to get together and we are going to commit to being present in a neighborhood where these cycles of poverty are a real thing. We're going to commit to being there and being good neighbors and engaging in the lives of people and just engaging in their concerns wisely and prayerfully, even being part of the school system there. Maybe even some of us become teachers in that school system. Like, I'm not saying it's everybody's calling, but it is some people's calling. And what if we were present like that together? Or imagine uh, some of us who are on the winning side of addiction by the grace of God, that we've experienced his victory. And what if some of us got together and said, you know what, I'm not going to keep that to myself. I'm going to share my journey with others. I'm going to come alongside others who are struggling so that I can say, you know what? This is what God showed me, and can I share it with you? This is the comfort that I've received, and can I give it to you? What if some of us said that? Imagine. And imagine if, 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 if we joined forces with other believers and churches doing the same thing, because I hope you know that we're not the only church around working for the kingdom, right? And then all of a sudden, 
as we work together, imagine the impact that could happen. These are huge things, but we can chip away at them. And if enough people are chipping away across the globe, then by the power of God, in the name of Jesus, these things can crumble. But if we're so overwhelmed with them that we're not doing anything and we're not chipping away, then nothing will happen. So we commit to these things by banding together with other believers and, and seeing people become more free and how beautiful that could be. Did, do you know who was, probably, who was probably used by God as the decisive factor for bringing down the uh, Chattel form of slavery that enslaved African-American people in the, in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries? It was Christians. Christians chipping away at that, and God used them. And God can use us. These are big things. These are big things. But God is calling us to be a part of it. But I think we also, if you don't mind bearing with me a little longer, I think we also need to flip this question. It's not only how can I contribute, how can we contribute to other people becoming more free, but how have I been a part of the problem in the first place? And that is an uncomfortable question. But I think it's one that Isaiah wanted his original hearers to ask. And so it's one that we need to ask too. How have I contributed to other people being weighed down and restrained in life? I know it's not comfortable. Uh, but as I prayed through, there's a lot we could say here, but as I prayed through this passage this week and chewed on it, I, <clears throat> I landed on one thing. And um, I'm going to say this in general terms because I know we're in mixed company age-wise. And so, um, ladies and gentlemen, did you know that when you look at explicit material online, you are contributing to a global industry that is responsible for enslaving women? Sorry. Okay enslaving women and children around the world were contributing to it, feeding it, because it's all interconnected, isn't it? It thrives on the objectification of people. So, brothers and sisters, we need to break that yoke, not strengthen it. And I know that's heavy, okay? And I, I firmly believe that guilt never set anyone free from sin. Only Jesus does that. But sometimes when we feel the weight of something, Scripture would call that godly guilt. That maybe is a catalyst for us running to Jesus and clinging to Him and taking drastic steps. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes by his power. It's time for us to get serious. Hey, we're not here to judge you. We're here to come alongside of you. But we are here to, to tell the truth. Okay. So God want, is calling us to be a part of other people becoming more free. That's the big picture stuff. We've got to keep this train rolling. Um, let's look at verse 7. This is the personal level stuff. This is how we 
This is how we talk to people, how we interact with people on a personal level who cross paths with our lives. This is personal level stuff. Let's look at it super quick. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover him. That's it. That's it. That's what this passage talks about. And I think we could summarize it as meeting real needs. Meeting real needs. Food, shelter, and clothing. Meeting real needs. And there's so much we could talk about right now as far as... This is a hard word for me. Particularly specifically applying this. But instead of doing that, um, we can talk about that another time. I want, us, I want us to talk about our attitude behind what we do because so often we can become numb to the real needs of those around us, especially as city folks. We can become numb and jaded and even suspicious. Like, are you using the system to the real needs around us? So I want us to talk about our attitude. Sometimes the question arises, should I give money to this person panhandling or not? I'm more concerned with our attitude. Whether we say yes or no, I am more concerned with our attitude in saying yes or no. When we're at a, a food pantry or even at harvest of the first fruits, I'm more concerned with our attitude in serving. When we come across someone, When we cross paths, I'm more concerned with our attitude. So that's why I think the key to this verse is actually in the last line. Look at this. Not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Your own flesh. God is reminding us these people are people just like you. They are human beings just like you. They have a story just like yours. This is something I think about often uh, because I have a brother who was homeless for years. On the other side of the country, he was homeless. And so I think about how would I like people to respond to him? How would I have people respond to him who cross paths with him? How would I have people respond to him if he showed up to a church like ours? I can tell you I wouldn't want him to be treated like a nameless face because he's a person who has a story. And I believe in this passage God is reminding us every single person is not a nameless face. Every single person is a human being who has a story. And I think that when that's our attitude, uh, the rest of this will work itself out. So we're going to keep moving. When we live this way, the big picture stuff, being a part of that, the personal level stuff, and our attitude in that, when we live this way, God tells us what will result in our own lives. And if I could summarize that, it would be greater intimacy with God. Greater intimacy with God. And that makes sense to me, because not because these spiritual these practices have any spiritual value in and of themselves, but out of a relationship with God. When we do them out of love for God, it makes sense that our relationship with Him would deepen. And that's why this is a spiritual discipline. It, it 
deepens our relationship with God. It brings us a greater awareness of his presence and even a renewed spiritual life. So let's take a sampling of verses that talk about this. Verse 8. His light in your life. More of his wholeness in your being. Verse 9. His experiencing his presence in prayer. Verse 11. His guidance in your life, his refreshment and his satisfaction. It's all a picture of intimacy with God, of a greater awareness of his presence in our lives, of renewed spiritual life. And related to that, can I just say that when we are coming alongside of of people who have need like this, um, we often learn from them things that we could never learn apart from them about God. It takes us deeper with God. I believe that strongly. And so, maybe you're here today and uh, you've been feeling dissatisfied spiritually. Maybe you've been feeling stuck or stalled or plateauing in your life. Can I just say, hey, it's important to, I want to encourage you to keep practicing the spiritual disciplines we've been talking about even when you don't feel it, to be faithful as much as you can in establishing them as a regular rhythm in your life. The, uh, being in the Word, being in prayer, spending that time with God, um, engaging your heart in worship music and thanking Him. I want to encourage you to keep faithful in those things, but can I also say, don't forget this spiritual discipline along with the others. It could be exactly what you need because there's a paradox in this passage. I want us to see it. Verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, and then skip to verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. In other words, as you empty yourself, you are filled, satisfied. So can I just say, maybe part of the reason at least why some of us are dissatisfied why some of us are not feeling filled is because we're not being emptied. I believe that, that God can meet us in these things and take us deeper. Okay? So contribute to other people becoming more free. Meet real needs. Remember to not hide yourself from your own flesh, that everybody has a story. And the result of that is greater intimacy with God. Now, these are big things, so can I just quickly touch on the strength? We've seen the situation. We've seen the solution. Let's talk about the strength to do it. I don't want us to leave today beating ourselves like, ah, i got to do better. i got to try harder. Do, do, do. I want us to leave today looking to Jesus. I want us to leave today looking to Jesus who did this perfectly. Out of love for God, he did what God desired flawlessly. He did what God chose, what God wants. He set people free, for example. He met real needs. You couldn't spend a day with him without seeing that. He knows what it means for others to be, to treat others as his own flesh. He poured himself out. He did this perfectly. 
And then he died on the cross for people like us who haven't done this perfectly, who have failed to fulfill God's desires in countless ways. And he rose again so that when we believe in him, God sees his perfect life in our place. So what does that mean? We don't have to do any of this? No. It means we don't have to do it out of guilt. It means we don't have to do it to try to earn points with God. It means we are set free to do it out of love. Authentic love, like Galatians 5 says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. And then it says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to serve the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are set free to serve through love. And he empowers us by his spirit to do it. Think about it. The spirit of Jesus, who lived a life of compassion, who served others, who poured himself out for those in need, lives inside every believer. That's our strength. That's our freedom. Look to him. Can I just tell you, look to him. So I'm going to call the band to come up. And um, maybe right now, maybe to this morning, you're, you might be feeling that feeling that came over me very early in the morning on March 23rd, 2018. How have I missed this? Can I encourage you, if that's you, to resolve not to go any further this morning without turning around and asking God's help to bring this more into our lives. Years ago, I I borrowed a book from somebody about this topic. And as I was reading in the book, I... um, The person I had borrowed it from had written in 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 the margin something along the lines of, I want in. God, I want in. So, I realize that we're all at different places this morning in this journey. But I do believe, and I want to call for some of you being ready to say, God, I want in. God, if this is so important to you, I want in. Looking to Jesus, I want in. So can I encourage you, if that's you this morning, to put that stake in the ground. And maybe even write it somewhere. Maybe even write it in your Bible. Um, Isaiah 58 would be a good place to start. Um, Or even just write it in your heart before the Lord.